part one. Joy to the world, a classic Christmas song you probably sing every Christmas. The upbeat tune makes you have to sing it with at least a little bit of happiness in your heart as we think about singing that the Lord Jesus Christ has come, come once already as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger to make his blessings flow and to show us the wonders of his love. And that same Jesus is also going to come again to bring all believers to himself where he has already prepared a room for them. But maybe today you find yourself singing a little bit like Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Because you don't have much joy going on in your life right now. And this upbeat song isn't doing anything to help your heart prepare room for him. And that's just it. Because our hearts can't make room for Jesus anyway. And they can't because of sin. Sin has caused us to fill our lives with everything else but Jesus. When Jesus is the only one who can bring true, lasting joy to our lives. As far as the curse of sin is found, sin has ruined everything. People, relationships, life. And instead of joy, we get disappointment, despair, trouble, sadness, pain, suffering, and death. And we end up with one not very funny joke to the world. Because nothing ever turns out the way we want it to even at Christmas. And that's because of sin. We do terrible things to others and they do terrible things to us because of sin. Sin has cursed our bodies so that sickness and diseases take away our loved ones from us. Sin leads to death. And we get reminded of that as we think of those loved ones who aren't here at Christmas. We all have burdens and worries and problems and sin and it's all too much for any of us to bear. And it can really ruin Christmas and every other day of the year. So maybe there's no joy in your world because there's no room for Jesus in the inn of your heart. Because sin has filled it with too many other things. Or because you don't think you're worthy to have Jesus be in your life. The good news of great joy is that we don't choose Jesus. He chooses us. He is the king born for you and me. And the promise of him coming... That first Christmas, that promise came as soon as sin entered the world. There is hope. Part two. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh, is the King born for you and me. But does God ever let you down? We can certainly be let down by other people and we can get disappointed and frustrated and even angry with them when that happens, especially when it causes physical, emotional, or mental pain and suffering. And sometimes we even blame God for why these things happen, why people die, why people don't keep their promises, why people don't act the way they're supposed to act. Christians of all people should know better, but they're just sinners like everyone else? What makes them different than the rest of the world? If you hold out hope that people will change, 
and they don't? What kind of hope do we have that God can keep his promises to us or that God won't let us down like everyone else? I mean, how is God different? God, the creator of the universe, the one who formed every single one of us in the womb, who knew us before we were a thought in our parents' minds, who knows how many hairs are on each of our heads, who sent his son Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world, how is he different? That is a very good question. Part three. We've talked about other people letting you down, not keeping their promises and causing you pain and suffering. But have you ever done that to someone else? And if so, what would they have to say about you? And what do you say for yourself? Was it God's fault? Or was it your fault? Or was it some external circumstance that makes it not your fault, you know, like an excuse Ever heard that before? An excuse as to why you're a terrible human being? As to why you're a sinner? Oh wait, you're not a terrible human being. You're not a sinner? Well, I guess we can just call you Adam and Eve then. Because you'd be no different than them. In the beginning, in the garden, the original man and woman, Adam and Eve, eat the fruit they're not supposed to eat. And as sin and shame and failure enter the world, so does blame. When confronted with their disobedience, Adam says it was the woman, Eve, who God gave him that made him stumble. It was Eve's fault because she took the fruit first. She ate it and gave it to him. And it was God's fault because he made her. And Eve, well, she blames the serpent because the serpent deceived her. Never mind the fact that Eve knew God's command because Adam told her. Never mind the fact that Eve took the fruit and ate it because she saw it was desirable. Never mind the fact that Adam, who was given the command of God to not eat, was right there with her, allowing her to take and eat. Better yet, allowing the serpent to even tempt her to eat in the first place. Never mind the fact that Adam took the fruit himself and ate it. No, definitely not their fault. So, Jesus is born that first Christmas, comes in the world as a man, a tiny baby in a manger, as true God and true man. And we ask, how is he any different? How is he any different than us? Here's a big one. Where we, like Adam and Eve, can't take responsibility for our actions, for our sins, God does where we deserve death and hell as the punishment consequences for our sins, Jesus takes it on our behalf. Why is God different? Because God doesn't let us down. He keeps his promises. And to know that, just look at the cross. Part four. Jesus Christ the perfect man who had done no wrong, committed no sins, keeps the promise that was first given to Adam and Eve, the promise of a savior to come and destroy the devil, sin, and death. Why is he different? Because he's the only one that could do this for us. 
We've talked a little bit about how other people let us down, sin against us, and how that can make us feel. And we've talked a little bit about how we can let others down and sin against them and how we respond to that. But sin at its heart is first and foremost against God. And we haven't yet asked how God feels about that, how he feels about us. Is he disappointed? Is he sad? Frustrated? Angry? Does he hate us? Hate. Strong word. Sometimes God is given the image of a child with a magnifying glass in the sun, frying little ants. He's the kid and we're the ants. And God just wants to torture us. That's how it might feel sometimes. Because of all the bad things that happen in life. Today I want you to take that image of God as a child with a magnifying glass and picture him doing just that. Because sin has consequences. It needs punishment. And God would be just in pointing that beam directly at each of us and frying us because we are guilty of sin. Instead, he takes it and points it directly on Jesus. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. He hates sin. And so Jesus took your sin and your punishment and your death. He took hell because it was the only way for you to receive forgiveness, to receive eternal life, heaven. How does God feel about you? Look to the cross. See the place where Jesus laid down his life for you and see the empty cross and be reminded that Jesus rose from the dead for you, proving he was the promised savior to destroy sin, death, and the devil. And we keep our eyes focused there today, at Christmas and every day, because we know that there are still going to be moments in life that are hard, where bad things happen, when disappointment comes, where you fail, and there's only one place we can turn, and only one person who can handle the burdens that are too much for us to bear. Part five. Now, this life is not easy, but God never promised it would be. That's because he knew that sin has tainted everything, and Satan continues to work in the lives of people to lead them away from God. And sin continues to ruin relationships and people and lives. It is entirely possible that nothing will ever go right in your life, that your whole life will be filled with disappointments and pain and suffering. God never promised that he would make your life on earth the best life ever. He did promise that for all who believe, everything will work out in the end because the promise for all who believe is heaven. Heaven where there is no more pain, suffering, disappointment, sorrow, sin, and death. How do we know it'll all work out in the end? Again, it's about the empty cross, the promise fulfilled in Jesus, and the promise of eternal life for those who believe, the promise given to you in your baptism, given in communion as you receive Jesus' body and blood at the altar in faith, and spoken and given through his word. And when will it be realized? When our life on earth comes to an end, or when Jesus returns, whichever happens first. 
And this is good news of great joy for all God's people. Part six. Christmas comes to us every year. And we celebrate that tiny baby in a manger. That baby that became a man. A man who was also God that went and gave his life for us on the cross. Who died for our sins, our failures, to give us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. We tell the Christmas story every year because it is the greatest and most important story for us to hear. For young and old. It's a story of love and the greatest gift ever given. We give gifts at Christmas because it reminds us of the gift of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ, who was sent to give us everything. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to give us the gift of faith to believe the Christmas story and the Good Friday story and the Easter story and everything else that is contained in God's word. And we can sing joy to the world and know that real joy comes from Christ's death and resurrection because all who believe will live forevermore. Amen.